Welcome back to the Building Peace Initiative at YouWantAPeaceOfMeOnline.com. Uh, this is John Van Bladel again. I've been getting the old podcasts out once every couple of weeks. Uh, today's podcast is going to be on compassion again. In fact, the title is The Path to Universal Compassion, Part Du, Bumps Along the Road. My French is not good. My Spanish is a little bit better. My English... I always joke with people and say I'm bilingual, I speak English and gibberish, uh, so hopefully I'll be coherent today. And I will be inviting the bell of mindfulness um, on occasion so we can slow ourselves down. I'll, when I invite the bell, let's just breathe a little bit together, three breaths in and out, uh, come back to the present, and reduce our distractions by coming back to the present. Now we do that so we can let whatever has been said sink in a bit too. You know, I noticed um, when I've been reading, I'm reading fast. I'm like skimming, and I'm not really letting the words sink in when I read. Um, it's a little bit disturbing, but I think the last several years it has been faster, 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 and we're all multitasking and not in the moment. So I'm really trying to pay attention to being fully present. And um, if you don't know, the last three summers were supposed to be the summers of John. Didn't quite work out that way. But <laughs> hopefully this summer will be that. We'll all be able to uh, slow down a bit, get more of a focus on uh, the things I want to do and stay present with what I'm doing rather than running around from place to place. So when it comes to practicing compassion, I've had my share of bumps. And I think we have to accept that as a norm. It is going to be a bumpy path. And we all have a few misperceptions that we cling to, or character traits which seem which we seem to have a hard time changing. Um, as an example, sometimes I can get stuck in the misperception that I'll be happy once I can arrange the necessary conditions for me to be happy. That would include a villa in Costa Rica, uh, a brownstone in Boston, and uh, about 20 acres in a rural area. I'm kidding sort of. Uh, so, when I don't get what I want, when the world doesn't plan out or pan out the way I want it to, sometimes I can get a bit irritable. And if it's long term, you can get anxious, depressed, uh, especially when external events don't go the way uh, that we want them to. Now, a good example is that most of us have experienced is driving a car. And we can relate to this probably because my attitude is if everyone would drive the way I wanted them to drive, I would certainly be happy. Better yet, they should all stay off the roads when I'm driving. Now, that is the epitome of egocentricity, but we often um, <laughs> you know, adopt that, particularly with driving. So one of the struggles is to have yourself maintain your accurate perceptions of what's going on around you um, in a world that often doesn't meet your expectations. Now, what was it that, oh, I have to pronounce this, epic... Epictetus said in around 90 CE, that's a Greek philosopher, it's not events that disturb people but their perception of them. Now that's the foundation of cognitive therapy. It's amazing what you can figure out when, you don't, when you're not scrolling through TikTok. Um, and that's mostly true, at least without re within reason. Um, I mean, I'm not sure there's any way uh, you can construe something like a nuclear war as anything but disturbing and horrific. 
But that's actually jumping to extremes, which is a thought error in the world of cognitive behavioral therapy. Now, despite all the meditation, mindfulness, cognitive restructuring, you know, sort of self-help, self-talk uh, that I'll apply, sometimes things and people get under my skin. Now, my friendly Greek philosopher and Rosenberg would say my interpretation of what is going on is my responsibility, as are how I feel about it, along with my actions. And I have to agree with that for the most part. Um, if I'm going to work and I spill my tea on um, my shirt when I'm driving, which has happened, it's not, it's not the fault of the bump. Uh, drinking tea when it's a little bit too full and you're driving, certainly you're going to spill. So rather than get mad at the tea or jump to, oh, this day is going to suck, what, what I've done is I've just said, hey, I have an extra shirt at work. And even if I didn't, what's, so what's the big deal with a little tea on you? So I'm not catastrophizing things. All right? What I do get upset about, and which well, things that are harder to um, let go of, sometimes are the usual things, politics, warfare, uh, and on an interpersonal level, some difficult personalities, usually ones who I define as self-centered. Uh, Rosenberg would say they're just not getting their needs met and are attempting to get them met in a way that is destined to fail. You might not say the, the second part. But the other thing that I run into a lot is I don't like bullies, and whether it's a street bully or if it's a white-collar bully in academia, um, those who would do harm to others to satisfy their own needs at the expense of others. And I've seen the harm this does, so this one I have to be careful with because I can feel myself get a little tense over it whenever I see it happening. Now sometimes I have an impulse to use a show of force in a sense of protective force or assertion, uh, not physical force. Those are only in fantasies. Remember Darth Vader? I find your lack of faith disturbing. Uh, some of us have had those <laughs> feelings from time to time. But it can be verbal, and a show of force is occasionally necessary to protect ourselves and others. But what motivates it? And what type of force can be used? Now, is it Satyagraha, soul or truth force, force as defined by Gandhi? Uh, and he walked the talk with that one, both in words and actions. Is it force that comes from the desire to defend oneself or another from harm? Um, or is it some desire just to punish another person, to dominate them, uh, to seek revenge, or what some would call justice? And we can easily come up with reasons why someone deserves to be punished. We live in a retributive society. Often we had authoritarian-type parents. Um, it's how we were raised, both sometimes within families and also within our culture. And this is part of a major problem. How do we deal with people who are not coming from the same place as we are? How many have um, been to the monastery and practiced compassion or... Uh, you know, the five of the 14 mindfulness trainings, how many people have been exposed to nonviolent communication, uh, or just simply, let's say, reflective listening, to listen with the express intent of understanding what the other person has to sh sh or say, and to show empathy. So how are people going to respond to this approach that we're applying? Uh, again, some will misinterpret kindness and compassion for weakness and naivete, or stupidity, and they actually may increase their aggressiveness uh, to test us out. 
you've seen this before in the boardrooms and sometimes um, growing up. So the question is, can compassion be an effective way of dealing with some of the more difficult people we encounter? So I'm going to invite the bell a little bit to let us consider what was just said. So can compassion be effective? Answer is yes, but it's not going to be that easy. Uh, the first person we have to deal with is ourself. Uh, this is where mindfulness can help combined with some empathy and some cognitive behavioral therapy. Therapy. It's actually a bit like understanding uh, the old psychodynamic term countertransference. What is being activated in us uh, when we start to want to respond in a less than compassionate way? Uh, and for me, you know, I've just identified a couple of things. Bullies uh, have a tendency to get under my skin. Um, we can also commit to being fully present whenever we're having an interaction with somebody. And again, be aware of what's being evoked in us. We start to get a bit agitated or we start to have any emotional state come up. We breathe. We recognize it. We remember what our goal is. And we engage empathy in the service of applying an informed, assertive compassion to listen, to understand, and to help the other person reduce their suffering. Now, this doesn't mean sacrificing yourself. Um, in situations where you might be harmed emotionally or certainly physically, uh, you don't stay there. But all this sounds pretty easy, right? But it's not, because it's not a habit. It's not the first thing that we normally go to, except for you empaths out there or people who have been trained to do this. But what if you're dealing with people who like to be dismissive, condescending, and who also have some say over, say, your personal or professional future? Some may actually be out to harm you or throw you under the bus, which is sort of another one of my little quirks. Don't throw people under the bus for your own gain. Well, I'll give you some examples of when it's not so easy. Now, the first is a bit general. Uh, if we go to environmental degradation, on one level, there's not much at risk personally, just the fate of the planet. That's sarcasm, I think. Um, but I have this hope that if each of us contribute a bit, we can turn the tide. Is that, is that a pun? Um, the tide is rising, both literally and figur figuratively. But sometimes I get in my own way when having discussions about this, because I'm pretty passionate about it. I get frustrated when people don't take the threat seriously enough. Sometimes um, when I'm being dismissed, say I bring the topic up, I may feel personally discounted. Um, I feel like I have something of value to offer. So is it ego when I don't get my way? Is it just a personal offense or is it something else? Uh, like a fear that if we don't change our actions, we're actually going to commit omnicide. Um, I hope it's more of the latter. But as I'm going through all these different feeling states, how do I communicate what my needs are? That's the question. And I have said in staff meetings, I've said, you know, when I bring this topic up, uh, my sense is that people, that I'm not being listened to, and I feel like something, I have something to say that's of value. Uh, would it be a good, I'd like to continue with this. So I just stumble over my words. 
just going through a fantasy of that one because that can be difficult. Um, so if I'm too upset though, I can't express my words or my ideas. I can't express my ideas clearly. Now, that's more of a global one, and it will fit to things like politics or, you know, global warming or whatever else is going on, on out there, warfare. But the next example is a bit more uh, specific. I had been working for about five years in one workplace to change the management style that they had been utilizing from an authoritarian model to a compassionate workplace approach consistent with their mission. And it really has been a grueling process. You know, I've tried to follow a compassionate communication approach, but there's times I've not lived up to it in the sense that I've become judgmental and sometimes constructed other people as enemies in my own head. It is a fact that there have been times where, you know, I was targeted um, and where I felt unethical treatment was occurring um, and I felt provoked, but I didn't give in to being provoked. What I did is followed the channels and did what the channels to file complaints and try and raise awareness about the issue so we get a few people behind it. So what I did was apply an informed assertive compassion in my actions which included, as I said, you know, grievances, bringing things up to various uh, levels within the organization, administrative levels, talking with employees about it, um, and generally shining the light of awareness on what had been going on. Now, we've actually made some progress. We have a whole new management um, group in here. Uh, we are moving forward. We have one person there who's acquainted with nonviolent communication. And we're going to do some small groups to try and put this in place. Um, we're going to try and expand it to the workplace. Now, in situations like this, there's normally a lot of bad feelings and grudges that are developed over the years that are going to have to be reconciled for us to move forward. And there is going to be some resistance, because like I say, we are tied into old authoritarian approaches. And I've probably said this before, where it's really interesting that when push comes to shove, even people with a whole bunch of degrees and experience when it comes to dealing with other people, uh, they turn into their parents which is not necessarily the best way to go. Now the other wild card with this one is um, this is a really good time to try to affect change because there's a pandemic and employees are in demand and you've seen numerous places working to um, unionize so you do have a lever here in, in many places. Um, if not for the pandemic um, I don't know if we would have been able to affect some of these changes or maybe we would have but it's hard to say. But the important point is, after years of persistence, we've advocated for change, we've developed some credibility, and we're getting there. Now, it's pretty common for me, particularly in my little academic world, to... Um, get into situations where difficult exchanges start to occur and people use a language of domination. And the language of domination is usually about I have one more degree than you do or I've been here longer than you have. And that is uh, really a contradiction 
in an academic setting because you're supposed to have, amongst other things, freedom of expression and the ability to really have the intellectual and emotional safety to um, speak with each other and hopefully um, get a synergy going. But that doesn't always happen. So in situations like this, I've managed to keep my focus, um, utilizing that informed assertive compassion and, again, asserting the need that, hey, I think I have some things to offer here that would be meaningful for you. Now, in one place, there were three people who were allied or allied against what I was saying, and, man, it was a long argument for about 45 minutes when it should have been like a 10-minute discussion. Uh, there were all sorts of maneuvers to take it off the agenda. It was really pretty nasty, and I found myself getting upset about it. But I tried to recognize what their needs are and stayed within the framework of having empathy yet being assertive. So it appeared we ended up at an impasse, but the next meeting we had a few weeks later, I was ready for another difficult night, and um, we got what we wanted passed. So how did we all manage to come to a reasonable agreement when we seemed to be so divided and people seemed to just be arguing, sometimes for the sake of arguing? There was a lot of ego involved. Well, a couple of things happened. First, I was prepared with compassionate communication. I've been talking about this for years. I acknowledge the fact that sometimes I'm not at my best. I, too, sometimes do not choose my words as carefully as I might, and if anyone was offended... I apologize for that. And there was no but after the apology. Um, I also did not fall back into my blue-collar street-fighting ways. Hey, you talking to me? Um, <laughs> that's not a good way to go. Because it would have bought right into this habitual form of sort of jousting uh, within board meetings to see who comes out on top. Uh, if I start with, are you talking to me? Then the usual rumble begins within me, and it's going to move outwards into the meeting. Now... When I feel that I'm being harmed, it's very easy for me to perceive a threat and direct harm back at the person who's given it or had you know, directed it towards me. But I was able to resist that, and normally I can. Um, and again, I had a bunch of talking points prepared. You have to go into these things prepared. I went in confident, win or lose, that I was doing the right thir thing. This is a long-term adventure. And there's some serenity and peace in that one. Um, you don't get into arguing with people or jousting. Um, you can pretty much let people know where you're at, what is important to you, and let them sit with it. And more importantly, I really work to show empathy for people and understand what their needs were. Um, I avoid diagnosing people, although sometimes I slip into it. You know, someone doesn't do what you want, you diagnose them with the infamous a-hole or they're narcissistic. Because um, when you do that, you put distance between people and you um, stop communication. And as I said earlier, I also modeled humility and that willingness to admit I've not always been at my best um, and that I was willing to work to repair relationships or at least not contribute to making them worse. Um, I also was inclusive and said I needed their help to create an environment where we can thrive and work towards reaching our potential. And this fostered inclusivity, and in one particular workplace, which is really retail, uh, sales are down, and the sometimes ego can be subjugated to keeping your jobs, uh, which means you need to work together. 
Uh, as all this is going on, I keep in mind Gandhi, Martin Luther King Jr., Thich Nhat Hanh, Dalai Lama, Jane Addams, Nelson Mandela, I always think, don't say anything to make it worse, Nadia Murad, Malala, Greta Thunberg, Daryl Davies, Dylan My Marone, Christian Piccolini, all the thousands of others who, who we don't hear, and all the thousands of others that we don't hear about, who every day, through acts of compassion and courage, move the world in a more positive direction. If you can work to create connection, uh, reconcile differences, you are making the world a better place. So, so this is really one situation where applying an informed assertive compassion is working. Um, and again, I also have some support from people around because if you get stuck out there on an island, uh, it's going to be problematic for you. So. In closing, I'll say, a more just and equitable and sustainable world is possible. We can accomplish this one moment, one conversation, one person at a time. But it's going to require that we change our understanding of ourselves and also each other. Now, this is a challenging task. I'll agree to that. You know, I've got a semester of students who've been practicing nonviolent communication in one class I teach, and it's really hard to pick up. Uh, but consider the alternative if we don't change. And as my Uncle Albert used to say, doing the same thing and expecting different results is the definition of insanity. So it's time to stop the insanity. Let's continue to make an informed, assertive compassion a part of our daily lives and do what we can where we are at. So that's it for today. Wishing you all some peace of mind.